and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. Welcome to another of the Essential Property Podcasts, where we discuss all things property related within Crewe, Stoke and Newcastle areas of the country. The podcast is directed at landlords, investors, agents or anyone new to the area and thinking of investing in residential or commercial real estate. My name is Paul Tamuda and I am pleased to have with me Raquel Aparicio of Mar Design, a Surrey-based interior design company providing services for HMO and SA investors and developers nationally. Today, we will focus on HMO design. Raquel, welcome. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for having me here. It's really great to be here. Good, good. I think we just start off a little bit and just talk a little bit to our listeners how you got into interior design, a little bit about your background and how you end up in this particular part of the property sector of HMOs. Yeah, sure. So I'm Raquel. I'm an architect by background that kind of then moved into the interior design side. I have more than 15 years of experience working in Asia, in the UAE, in Russia, in the UK, in Portugal, mainly on hospitality, gaming, and high-end residential. After uni, I decided that I wanted to move to China because I wanted to explore that part of the world. And I was absolutely mind-blowing by gaming and hospitality interiors. And that was kind of the shift that I did from being just an architect into specializing into interior architecture. And ever since then, it was literally like no turning back. And I discovered that my passion is for interiors and interiors that are commercially driven. When I then decided to move to the UK, my biggest project or my first project was the Four Seasons Hotel at the 10 Trinity Square, just behind Tower Hill in London. And it was a 300 key hotel and 40 SA. And, you know, as it was also a grade two listed building, it came with all the problems that anyone can imagine. So that gave me huge experience in doing hotels that are listed. And it was just a fantastic experience. And I think that now my day to day is working with developers, coordinating on site, coordinating with contractors, and most importantly, designing spaces that work and feel better. And by having this commercially driven mindset, I know how to maximize any property's ROI and elevate its performance through design. And obviously, making my investors and my clients extremely happy. And I kind of moved then into working with property developers and and investors at the point where I was a bit tired of high-end residential and already had some connections and knew people. And they, they started asking me, oh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? So I thought that, well, there's an opportunity here for me actually be the to-go-to person for HMOs or for commercial to uh, resi conversions or buy-to-lets. Brilliant. Ma Design, when did you start that? When did you start doing it for yourself? 
officially a year ago, or it's going to be uh, in, in March a year ago. Okay, okay, brilliant. And obviously, you do a lot more than HMO design. What are your sort of specialist areas? We have uh, listeners who obviously uh, have bytelets, they have HMOs, they have they're doing flat conversions and commercial properties. So we have quite a wide audience. So it'd be quite interesting to see what else my design is able to offer, even though we're going to focus on HMOs. Yeah. So actually, everything that you kind of mentioned just there, I work on those type of properties as well. For me, any type of property is a project. So it could be just, you know, a flat conversion or a buy-to-let or a service accommodation. I do enjoy all of it. There are some things that I... Maybe I would say that, you know, anything, I always say that my biggest passion in um, interior design is hospitality because it has so much complexity and the same principles that I apply to those type of projects is the principles that I apply to any type of project, interior design project. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. So we've spoken about HMOs in the past. I know that you've been working on some good size HMO developments. What was it that attracted you in particular to HMO in terms of that sector of the property market? Presumably you saw something that was, you know, either poor design or maybe someone found you and said, look, I don't know where to start. I want to make this a little bit special. How how did that whole HMO link come about? Well, I think it started with people reaching out to me saying, oh, I have an HMO. I don't know how to do this. But mostly, I I normally compare the HMOs to designing a hotel because the principle is exactly the same. So you have your day areas, you have your night areas, you have your corridors, your transition areas, your communal spaces, your lounges, and that whole dynamic and how you can design a hotel to make it better, it applies the same principle to an HMO. And that was, I think, the key thing that really got my heart into HMO and the idea of when a client comes to me and we design the whole HMO together and most some of the clients like to have like CGI images which are 3D renderings of the spaces the thing that really it's uh it's quite it's like an achievement to me is when I see the clients coming into the properties and they go like wow it's exactly how you design it in the CGI's and in the renderings and they get that I love the space. And the same kind of emotions happen when tenants go in to check the rooms or check the property. So that emotional connection that you can get from designing a hotel is the same emotional connection that you can get from designing an HMO. And that was one of the things that it kind of connected. And I really, really loved it. So hence why I kind of started specializing more on the HMO market. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. It's interesting that you say it's the same principle as designing hotel rooms or hotel spaces, because I think over the years, while HMO started as a space for students, you know, sort of 10, 20 years ago, it's evolved to spaces for professionals and it's even started to compete a little with um, hotels because standards of been raised tremendously, presumably because of services offered by companies like My Design. I know that when we last spoke, there was a developer in particular that used your services for the first time. 
And then he came back and said, can you do the next one? Just talk us a little bit about why he decided to use you in the first place. What was he lacking? Why, why did he approach you? And what value did you bring to his development? The first thing I would say is that overwhelm is most of most of my clients come to me, they are super overwhelmed. And in this particularly, he had already three HMOs. And on the first two, he kind of did the whole thing, designed, coordinated with the builder, got the furniture in, was hanging artwork, doing the whole thing, buying paints. And I think that he felt that his time wasn't being well used because he is supposed to be going out there, finding deals, expanding his portfolio and growing his business. And by having me doing all the parts of the design and coordinating with the builder, I would be taking all that overwhelm from him so that he can go and concentrate on the things that are more important to him. So I think that was the first key factor. Then secondly, he wanted to raise the bar in the area that he invests So he just didn't want to deliver another HMO. He wanted to deliver something that was special, something that had the design kick on it on everything, including, you know, for instance, headboards, designs, overall room, uh, focal points, all of that that design can bring and create to spaces. And what happened is that even before the HMO has been completed and done and installed everything, he already had like a huge waiting list for the bedroom. So it was actually really good for him. And I think that's kind of the model that he wants to replicate on his overall portfolio. And the thing is that the funny thing was that then all of the rooms were rented out and even people were coming back to him saying, okay, so on your next property, please just uh, sign me in on your list because <laughs> I want to I want to live in the property that you offer. So that yeah. was really good. And I think one of the things, it's interesting because for HMOs, we go on these training courses and we develop knowledge in terms of how to start an HMO, how to convert a property into HMO. As investors, where we see ourselves as property developers, but from you, from an interior design standpoint, you see it as just another arm of hospitality where you're serving the renter, the guest, the tenant, and looking at their needs. And I think there probably needs to be a little bit more of that in the market. And maybe the starting point for sure is under the design of the rooms and, and things like that. Just, you know, obviously, where we, we've, according to Mr. Johnson, we're seeing the back of the pandemic although the numbers probably don't support that, not wanting to veer into politics. But how do you think things might have changed from a design standpoint with HMO as a result of the pandemic? One of the things that I've spoken about in previous podcasts is that if everybody thought that this was going to be the death of the HMO because people were sharing common spaces, they were totally wrong. And businesses probably mushroomed as a result. But has anything changed in terms of requirements in your eyes or in your experience in terms of the design? Are you looking at different things a little bit differently? Are people asking you for different things when they're looking to develop out their HMOs? Well, I think most importantly, any communal space needs to be appropriate to the number of tenants that you're going to have. 
because what I see, and it's this is like one of the biggest mistakes, is that people just don't think about communal space because you always should think about spaces like that as if they were always at maximum capacity. And when I say maximum capacity, you have to be there like, for instance, let's say eight tenants and they actually need to circulate and walk around things and not bump into each other and have sufficient, for instance, worktop space so that you are not on top of each other. Or for instance, in terms of your bedrooms, you always should have facilities or not even facilities, but when you do your layout planning and the layout of the furniture, it always needs to coordinate with your sockets and your switches so that, for instance, if a tenant wants to work in his desk, he has the right switches to plug his laptop, phones, etc. Or if they want to bring the laptop into, you know, working in bath, they also can do that. So, you know, it's the little things that that make a difference on the overall way of living a space. And I think that nowadays with the pandemic, people are more conscious of how people live, which before it was a bit like, oh, yes, it's just a bedroom and they'll sleep and they'll go away and work. But now it's different. It's how you sleep. It's how you work. It's how you live. And that really changed a bit how HMOs are being designed. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. In one of the HMOs that, that we operate, we, we had an inspection. I think it might have been a lender. We might have been re- refinancing it. We walked into the, the kitchen diner. We had a big kitchen diner. And there were like two extra fridges in, in, in the space. We thought, where does that come from? But of course, as a result of pandemic and fear of COVID, people were wanting their own refrigeration and they literally went out and bought their own fridges and plunked them in in the kitchen so it wasn't particularly well placed but it was an indication of how people were thinking and wanting their own stuff i just wonder have you thought about in the rooms are there any additional things you now put in the rooms is sort of space for mini fridges now standard in your thought process because one of the things i'm always conscious of is that HMOs, generally speaking, are supposed to be affordable. And that comes with, you know, you don't have a 25 square meter room as standard. It tends to be half that size. So you can't put as much things as you want. But sort of with pandemic and people working from home and things like that, how do you design them with fridges and desk space and everything like that? How do you go about just thinking about all that? Yeah, so I think, you know, from the pandemic, there are a lot of people asking for fridges, like a dry kitchen type of thing in yeah. their in their bedrooms. But obviously now it's getting a bit more difficult because then you can get into, you know, council tax and all of that. So that's another yeah. discussion. But if we just talk purely about design, it would be fridges, tea stations are kind of a must for every single room. And storage, because Storage is something that it's people don't think about it. And you actually, you know, you need to put your roller, you need to put your clothes properly, not just shoving in a corner. So these are the things that from the pandemic, I think it kind of just became more pressing. So, you know, people are attracted to HMOs because of the additional cash flow. They generate more cash, generally speaking, than than a buy to let. And if you had to give pointers to people when they acquire their first HMO and they're looking to convert it and start a, 
looking at the design element. What would be the main things to consider? You've mentioned, obviously, things like storage and communal areas and things like that. Traditionally, a small HMO is a three or four bedroom house converted to a four or five bedroom or possibly a six bedroom HMO. What are the things that you would probably give us pointers for investors to consider once they start or immediately after their purchase? First, I think even when they're looking out on Rightmove or wherever they're looking, the first thing would be to download the HMO guidelines and make it your Bible for a bit of night reading because, you know, automatically you can kind of see if properties will work or not work in terms of spaces. Knowing your HMO standards would put you in advantage than when you move on to the design process. And when you acquire your property, I think it's important to understand if there's no structural issues, if you have like damp, which are things to consider as well. But then in terms of design, I think what I normally say is you need to consider the design fundamentals and design fundamentals are your structure, your room sizes, your circulation, your zoning, and your function. And this, all of this together will kind of determine your space planning. And when you are space planning, then you can look at the property and see how much you can optimize as much as possible and get as much potential from that property. At the same time, besides the planning, it's always important to think about how would you like your property to look? If it's, you know, some people like to have it an industrial vibe or some people like a mid-century vibe. But if you always have design clarity and you know the style that you're going for, then it's so much easier because you can organize yourself, you can advise the builder what you're going to do, and everyone knows what they're doing and what they're working for. And in terms of the builder, it's always extremely important to get a set of technical drawings so that the builder not only can know exactly what he needs to build from, but he can provide you with an accurate refurb cost. And also, I think to top this up is the if the builder knows exactly what he's doing, then in some instance, which was which is exactly what's happening with one of the five HMO that I'm working on, the refurb time, in, instead of normally increasing, which is what happens all the time, it decreased. So obviously, these investors are getting the property in the market and working already for them. So I think these, in the long story short, this would be the, th- the three key things to look into. So look into your space planning, look into your concept design, and come up with like a really good set of technical drawings so that your builder can organize himself and just crack on with the refurb. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. That's, that's very sound advice. Just for the purpose of clarity, if you can explain zoning to our listeners, for those who aren't design or technically minded, what, what do you mean by zoning? Well, zoning is determining the areas that you're going to have in your property. So when we say day areas and night areas, we say the day areas, it's everything that is communal. So your lounges, your kitchen, if you have utility rooms, your utility room, and then your night areas are your bedroom areas. And then even within your bedroom areas, you can think about like a micro zoning where you have your beds, 
where you have your storage, your ensuite, if it's an ensuite bedroom, or where you have your working area, which is your desk, and if you have bookcases or whatever feature you have. So basically, zoning is all about distinguishing the various different functions in a room and designing around that. Got it. Brilliant. So in your experience, what do you think makes the biggest difference when designing HMO? You know, let's limit it to five or six bedrooms. What makes a difference from the, the look and feel or maybe in terms of the ROI or what you can generate in terms of rentals? Yeah, I think that most importantly, to get a property right, with or this is how I normally think, it's not just about the looks because properties can look amazing. You can have, you can spend a lot of money in making it look fantastic, but if you don't get the fundamentals right, it will never be a successful property that will perform for you with a strong ROI. So with this, I say, it's always think about how tenants will live in the property and how you can make their life so easy that they will, you know, they just want to stay there forever and ever. And these are the things like having a proper furniture layout that ties in with, with your switches and your sockets. So everything works coordinated because for me, there's nothing more annoying that I'm trying to plug something and I can't find the plug or it's behind the bed or behind the bedside table or, you know, that's just the little things that get people really annoyed. So things like that. Having a proper lighting design is extremely important because you need to be able to, when it's nighttime, I wouldn't say being inside as if it was shining bright, but right. it needs to work with your space. So people need to feel that they're okay in the space. So that's kind of more important. And then another thing that I think people don't really think about it is in terms of the of the furniture itself, because there are a lot of landlords that unfortunately, they just feel that, you know, if you have a bedroom, even if it's really small, let's just cramp with a lot of furniture because, you know, it will work. But no, it doesn't. You have to provide the right amount of furniture to the right size of the room and also good quality furniture because, you know, people need to feel that they're sitting in the nice chair, comfortable bed, because otherwise they'll live. And all of these little things together are like the little tricks that then will make your properties perform better. You can then reduce also the turnover of a lot of tenants coming in and out. And then obviously by doing that, you're also minimizing your maintenance costs because we all know that every time a tenant leaves, at least you have, you know, leak of paint or something just to get the rooms to the right standard. And, you know, and overall you just reduce voids which is something that no landlord wants to have. Sure. No, brilliant advice there. Brilliant. Simple question, just on the back of something that you said. When you're doing a double room in an HMO, how many sockets do you normally suggest is put in? A double room for a couple or for... Let's assume it was a couple. Okay, so I would say always each bedside table need to have a socket. If budget allows, I would always say do sockets that have USB ports yeah. because it's just little things that help. Normally in the rooms that are double, they have bigger working areas, so I would say as well two sockets there. 
and then T station and another one for the Hoover. So a minimum of six. Wow. Okay. Well, I've, I've learned something today. That's two more than I normally put in my room. So thank you for that. I'm sure a number of other listeners have up their minimum number. But, you know, I mean, how many times do we go into a hotel and we're struggling to find a plug? And as you rightly said, sometimes they're hidden or there's just not enough of them. So, yeah, I mean, six makes sense. Six does certainly make well, sense. seven if you consider the fridge. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Okay, so... You sort of touched on this when you were talking before. And, you know, we we manage HMOs and manage SA units. And we walk into properties that people have struggled to rent. We had a call just the other day from a, a, a client that has a, I think it was a five or six bed HMO. And since October last year, he's had one tenant in there. And he sort of sent us this cryptic message, you know, can you help? And, you know, often we walk into the property and we think, okay, now we can see why you've only had one tenant in there. And, you know, they've done a a fairly poor job in terms of just the overall refurbishment, never mind the actual design. But often, you know, investors are buying terrace houses and, and semis and converting those what are often the biggest mistakes that you think that they make on just general, not even design, but just refurbishment and presentation based on your experience? Well, it first starts with the incorrect space planning, because if you don't have a correct space planning, you can't, there is no way you can maximize your property to its maximum potential. Then I would say cramping loads of furniture in rooms and not only in bedrooms but also in communal spaces where you can't really circulate around it so it just becomes it's it's not usable space and then together with that if you don't have a good layout in terms of your furniture then we go back again to the sockets and the switches if they're not located according to where your furniture layout is then it just doesn't work as well as and small communal spaces Although I think things are changing slightly on that. But again, people should be able in total if they want to eat at the same table or at the same, you know, breakfast bar, however it is designed, they should be able to do so. And storage. And as you were saying, like your fridges. So having the right storage and appliances that makes everyone happy. Okay, brilliant. In terms of... People are reluctant to employ designers, I think, is because they don't understand the value that they bring. If you had to summarize from a, you know, in terms of the value you provide, savings, increasing pricings on past jobs, increasing ROI, can you just share with our listeners why it's important to at least consider using an interior designer to to, to plan their HMO? Sure. And I guess it's not only just an HMOs, it's HMOs or buy-to-lets or service accommodation, any property. For example, I'll give you a buy-to-let example, which is, it's a very nice studio flat that I've worked on in Nottingham. And it was in a block of flats. 
So, you know, a lot of competition there, many uh, landlords. And at that time that we were refurbing that flat, there were also two other investors refurbing. And so we had a bit of sneak peeking of other people coming in and saying what we were doing. And we actually brought to the market something that was very different and very unique. In terms of our ROI, what represented was that we had an increase of 50% of rent and that meant that we actually broke the ceiling rent in that block of flat for that type of properties. So properties were being let around 600 per month. And then we literally doubled, actually slightly higher. The investor is now getting 12, I think it's, uh, yeah, 1250 per month. So he's really happy with that. And then for instance, in terms of HMOs, If we go back to that example that we were talking about of the investor that came to me, again, to do another HMO, we were looking at a 60 to 70% of occupancy rate. And if we would look in terms of gross income, it would be over five-year times about 184K, which now doing all the numbers again and having the property in the market, we have a 90% occupancy rate. And in five years time, the increase will be for or to 324K, which obviously it's a increase of 139K and uplift in rent of 36%. So it, it does mean a lot. Design does come into play and does work towards, you know, just making that property perform more and more. And it's kind of an infinite return. So it's good. Do you help? You said something there, which I just thought about in terms of, I mean, I I would do that in terms of just checking out what the competition is. But just recently, I was speaking to someone who did a development in Portsmouth, I think it was, and they did a a bunch of apartments and they had to sell them off at quite a steep discount because one there was price competition from other people there but i think also that their apartments were pretty much the same as anybody else's so i think what's important what what i've taken away from that is that before people start to convert they should at least have a look at what the competition is like and look at where they can improve and have better space, better communal areas, better facilities inside their rooms. And because if they do, then presumably they're going to attract good renters who stay there for longer and are willing to pay that little bit more for their rent, which all feeds into the ROI. That was my takeaway in terms of just checking out what the competition is doing. They don't do exactly the same, but look to be a little bit smarter and look to offer something better. So I think what you've just given an example of your Nottingham studio and your HMO is that it definitely drives better design, definitely drives the rental, the occupancy, and with that, the ROI. And people need to incorporate a design element or an interior design within their capital expenditure, expenditure budget right from the off rather than thinking about it right at the end, thinking, what if I can get a designer on the cheap that kind of help me out? They want to incorporate that right at the beginning. It's as important as fire doors, en suites, and, and, and things like that, which we think of as 
mandatory. You know, interior, good interior design is almost mandatory for good HMO returns. I think that's what I'm hearing from the examples that you've given. Yes, exactly. And I think that the point here is that normally interior designers or interior architects, it's like an afterthought where they go like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need someone to help me out. But in fact, it should be an interior designer or interior architect should be part of your power team. So the same way you have your mortgage broker, you have your solicitor, you have your builder, you should have your designer at the same time. Because not only we can help you to look at a property and say, yes, this will work, this will not work. So you don't kind of waste time on that. But as a designer, our goal and our function is to maximize as much as possible your property. And by maximizing that, we are providing you with bigger returns in terms of your rental income and also in terms of the end valuation of the property. Because when, as you were saying, if your friend or the investor that you were talking about that has flats and they all look the same, when you someone to come and make a valuation, it's the same as, you know, three flats they've seen before. But if you have a flat that looks absolutely amazing and works well and has the right appliances and everything is like pristine, the valuer will be like, Oof, mind blown and just provide you with a completely different valuation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That's, that's brilliant. I've learned a lot in this episode and I hope my, my listeners also will appreciate the value that you bring in terms of expertise to HMOs, buy-to-lets, and apartment development. Rekha, how can people find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook at UK, or you can always reach out through our website, which is www.marydesign- No, I'm, no, I don't know my, <laughs> I don't even know my website, mar-design.co.uk. There you go. So many hyphens. And yeah, and just, you know, just drop me a message. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. We'll, we'll incorporate those details in the notes and appreciate your expertise and your input today. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Well, thank you so much for having me, Paul. you enjoyed today's episode and if so please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too to get in touch with paul and amanda directly please visit their website www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information we look forward to sharing with you on the next episode